Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Father. Thank you that you're a good Lord, that you're building your church. Thank you for your grace, Lord. So many times, Lord, yes, we just think uh, again and again, Lord, uh, the term repentance comes up, Lord, but like Martin Luther wrote, Lord, in the Reformation, the, the first point, the whole Christian life is repentance. And we know that we need that, Lord, and what a gracious thing, Father. Many times it feels so uncomfortable, Lord, it, it doesn't feel right when we continuously repent, Lord, but what a wonderful thing, Lord, to come to you knowing that when I repent, my sin is forgiven, not because something that I've done or deserved, but because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Grace, Lord. What a wonderful thing. And thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. Thank you that your righteousness becomes ours. Your life becomes ours, Lord. You have washed us clean. Nothing but the blood. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are actively working in us, revealing the beautiful things of Scripture to us, fostering a unity in the body of Christ and giving us power to witness to the world the greatness of God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing today with holiness, part three. The title, In the World, but Not of the World. Something really important for us to grasp and to understand. And for those of you who weren't here the last five weeks, let me quickly recap. This is going to be quick. So we're busy reading the book of 1 Peter, and we looked at the, the first chapter and the first half of the second chapter. And this is Peter, you know, someone that's taken on the gospel we, we don't normally get or we rarely read, and rightly so, because he only wrote two books in the New Testament. And now looking at Paul and how he explains it to us, now the Spirit is explaining these truths to us, we see that the sovereign God granted us new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we were born again to a living hope, and that he is keeping an inheritance for us in heaven. One that never perish, spoil, or fades. And he's guarding us through his power. And he's busy actively working faith in us in this world. And in light of that, Peter says, okay, let's respond. How do we respond? By hoping fully in Jesus Christ and the grace to be revealed. Every single ounce of hope that we have. Get it together. Do not place it on anything else. Place it fully on Jesus Christ. And when he comes back. And when that hope is fully set, then devotion fully follows. Then we read, be holy because I am holy and be holy like I am holy. Then we strive towards that holiness to please God. And that holiness is sustained by a holy fear. Live out the time of your exile in fear, knowing that you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then I fear that I might receive the grace of God in vain, that it's still busy with an empty life yielding to the passions of the flesh, even though I've been redeemed with the blood of Christ. And I said, no, I don't want to live that way. I fear to receive the grace of God in vain. But I want to strive for holiness with which out no one will see the Lord. That is what I want to do. And then we ask ourselves, okay, but what does holiness mean? How are we holy like God is holy? How do we become holy? Where's the definition found? Can we sanctify ourselves? How does it work? Part one, we looked at the word of God, makes sense to us. We understand this. Long for 
Be a spiritual milk that bite you might grow up into salvation. Long for the word of God. Put down the things of the world. Take up the word of God and allow it to sanctify. Like Jesus says in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We were born through the living word of God. That is what sanctifies. And not only when we read it, but when we actively live it out. And again, this is not... You know, this heavy thing that we now see, like Ron also said, now, man, now I must read this book and I must obey these commands. No, it's an invitation of God to know the God who is. And many times, you know, when we approach the Bible with any different mindset than to knowing God, it's frustrating and it's confusing and we don't understand what's going on. I'm not trying to draw a parallel between me and a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. No, I want to know the God of the Bible because he is still the same. Yes, it's a different context, culture, language, different people. But the one thing that remains the same is God. That is why I pick up the pages of Scripture, so that I can know the God who saved me. That's why Scripture says, if you taste it, that the Lord is good, long for the Word of God. So that we can get to know Him. He's the one that is constant. And then with that part two, the Spirit and the church, the Holy Spirit sanctifies. He leads us. And where does he lead us? To the people of God. Love for the body of Christ. You see the temptation of the world and the enemy and the things around us that lead to passivity, fear, and isolation is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is what wants to come and steal from us. But then God gives us the word, the spirit, and the church. That is how we grow. That is where we grow. That is where our love is aimed at. That's where the spirit and the word of God will always lead us. And important that those three things be there. If the Spirit is not present, then we won't even understand the Word of God as we ought to. For the Spirit reveals spiritual things to those who are spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2. Interpret Scripture. Illuminate Scripture. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you into all truth, Jesus said to the disciples. And He will lead us to the Word of God. So if the Spirit is not there, we won't even understand the Word of God as we should become puffed up with knowledge and there'll be no flowing out and when the spirit is there without the word then it might not even be the spirit because the spirit of god always lead us to the word of god always lead us otherwise it's charismatic chaos everything's based upon feelings that's not what god expects the word of god the spirit of god will always point to one another and then where that will inevitably flow to is the church the people of god to love one another you see, if the word of God is there and the spirit of God is there and there's no people for this love to flow out, it will simply explode, I think. But it has to flow out somewhere. And like we said last week as well, I know that we've been hurt by people. You know, if I ask the question, who's been hurt by people? All of the hands go up. And if I ask who has hurt other people, then the, the hands stay up. No hands go down. And we know that is how it is. And the actions of man will never justify our disobedience towards God. He says, love one another, forgive one another. Do not neglect the coming together of the saints. Stir one another to love and good works. We obey God. But the actions of man will never justify our disobedience towards God. And says, okay, but this time will I maybe not get hurt again? No. It will happen again. So what scripture says, forgive one another. And the judge is like, hey, but nobody has done something to me. Hold your cup of tea, give them a week. Then there'll be reason to forgive one another because we are fallen human beings. But that is what God expects of us. And we're going to read through this and there's a 
Another part, like I said, we are in the world, but not of the world. The spirit will flow out towards as we read through this passage. Again, that purpose statement that we're going to look to. So see if you can spot that second one as we read together. 1 Peter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 12. Reads as follows. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers... And the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as shown as an exile, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That day of visitation that scripture speaks of is either that the day when Jesus comes back and all of those unbelievers have been saved by them, then they will give glory unto God, or the day that Jesus comes and saves them. And the Spirit reveals himself to them. And they then get saved and they then give glory to us. There's the same words that Jesus uses in the gospel. Live in such a way. Let your light shine before others. Do good deeds so that the end result might be glory to God the Father. Let your light shine so that the end result will be glory unto God. It's not saying, hey, go show to the world how good you are. No, he says, live in such a way that the end result will be glory unto God. That is how I expect you to live. And here we again see in verse 11, as sojourners, as exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Like we saw last week, there's these two things constantly in war against one another as we read in Galatians 5 as well. The desires of the flesh are contrary to that of the spirit. We will either yield to one or to the other. There's no gray area. And as I've reflected on my own life and as I've seen the life of those around me, one thing that I've noted is that we sometimes fail to yield to the leading of the Spirit in the seemingly big things because we constantly neglect it in the seemingly small things. You with me? I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I'm going to arrive at home later. 
And then as Philippians says to me, God is busy working in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's stirring up certain things inside of me. The spirit is at work. Wants me to lead me to certain things. Devote yourself to prayer. Take up the word of God. Read, join fellowship, whatever the case might be. And contrary to that, there will be a desire of the flesh. Now let's, let's rather watch that new series that came out. And in light and in that moment, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, the sinful thing. Just a bit of passivity. But in light of Scripture, and again, it's easy to say, no, no, we're focusing, we, we, we're turning to law here. This is too much. No, but that's not what Scripture says, like Galatians 5 says as well. If we live by the Spirit, let us then keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not spend our days busy with empty things. You know, that is the strange thing about the temptation of the world. It's a, it's a lie. It's an empty thing. It will always leave you more empty. Always in the end, you'll, you'll be a little bit mad at yourself. Again, why? Why? It's an empty thing. So following the Spirit is not this thing, oh, no, my God doesn't want me to have fun. No, that's where the true joy, true fulfillment, true sustainability lies. It's in following the Spirit. And we miss it sometimes because we miss it in the small things. And also then it reveals our heart actually. Now, how our obedience to what God is actually directed, our relationship with God, and even with the Word of God. Now, many times you're not constantly seeking the leading of the Spirit, except when it really matters to me. Hey, I got a new job um, option there, there, there overseas or, or in Cape. You know, I got this job offer now. Please, small group, hey guys, we have to fast, we have to pray. Seeking the leading of the Spirit all of a sudden very severely. Why? Because now it matters to me. God has always said, hey, seek first the kingdom of God. Be aware of where the Spirit's leading. Yield to that constantly. And even so with our relationship with the Word of God. Many times we have this relationship where something matters to me. Then I'll, I'll go and explore. Then I'll go and see. I think one of the books that has been neglected by a lot of Christians that have been read this last two years the book of Revelations. Hello. Now the world's a bit strange and I want to know, specifically there, chapter 14, 13. You with me? Now all of a sudden it, it matters to me. Now I want to know what it says, but it's always been the word of God. God has always wanted us to know what's in there. That's always been truth. It's always supposed to be something that we yearn for, that we understand, that we know, that we read. Because I want to know the God in those pages. I want to know the God who saved me. Not just when it's important to me. Can I give it? It is a little bit difficult to understand sometimes. Specific genre of scripture. Apocalyptic literature. It's not the easiest to interpret. But nonetheless, something that God wants us to understand. And all of a sudden when it matters, now I want to dive in there. Because now it's relevant to me. Now I want to know. But God says here, as we yield to the leading of the Spirit and abstain from the passions of the flesh, we should also keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Now there's going to be times where you have to discern for yourself what the will of God is in the context of who you are, where you're working, the people that are around you. What does it mean to live honorable? Or clean lives, like the Afrikaans say, schoen. Interesting. But honorable lives, reflecting the grace and the glory of God. There we are. And there's certain times in light of Scripture and the leading of the Spirit where you'll have to discern what that means. But luckily God comes and he says, there's certain things 
that will always result in this. There's a way in which to live that will always give honor to God, always give glory to God. There'll be this holy, separate, set-apart life that Pete is busy speaking about and explaining to us in these chapters. And the first one is what we looked at last week, 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is the testimony to the world that we are disciples of Christ. Like he said in John 13, by this they will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. This contrast to the world where their love is aimed at themselves, our life, our love flows out to those around us. This is the contrast. This is the difference. This is the set apart, holy, devoted unto God life. This love that we have for one another. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 18 and 19, you can go and read that. It's not on the board. And then he explains this principle of this offering that is acceptable to God, this love that we have for one another. And he says, you know, when he was in need, the Philippian church supported him. They brought him and gave him gifts. They supported him financially. They gave him worldly things that he needed. And he says, I want you to know that this is a fragrant offering to God. This is a sacrifice that is pleasing unto Christ. And my God will supply your needs to the riches of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. He will supply your needs. But I want you to know that this is acceptable to God. This is a fragrant offering. And we understand that. Like we said last week as well, 1 John 3. If you see your brother, sister in need, and you have the worldly things to supply that, and you don't, and you close your heart towards them, how does the love of God abide in you? Let's not just love one another in word, but in deed and in truth. Let's actually do this. We get it. We understand this. This is the testimony we carry out to the world. This is something that we have to grasp and we have to actually live out. But then with that, there's another place towards uh, where the Spirit will lead us towards. It goes together with this love that we have with, for one another, this testimony that we share to the world. So the first is a love for the people of God. And then secondly, it is a proclamation to the world. We read it here in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. It says the following, But you, being contrast to the world, you are different than these people who stumble and take offense because they disobey the word of God. You are different. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, there's the purpose statement. That, for what reason? That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To go and preach the message of the gospel. That is what it means to be holy, set apart unto God, to be different. That is where the word of God and the spirit of God will always lead us. It will lead us with the great humility and a great thankfulness. Why? Because I'm not just proclaiming that there is a God who saves. I'm proclaiming the excellencies of the God who saved me, who called me from darkness into light. You see, I do it in humility, not with a, a condescending way, not with a judgmental way, because I know like the world is in darkness, I was in darkness. But God called me, and now I'm light in the Lord. That is what I go and proclaim to this world. Something important for us to understand, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. And again, it's not just some special type of Christian. It's not some missionary. It is for the people of God, a people for his own possession, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, all of us. That is what we are called to do. And again, it's something we understand. This is the basics of faith. But we rarely view it in the light of holiness. This is what it means to be holy, to love one another, to preach the message of the gospel, 
to be set apart. And again, when we reflect on Jesus, this is what it means to be holy like God is holy. Because he came and loved us and he came and preached the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is what Jesus did. Something we are called to understand. Because we so easily form a holy huddle. And we remove ourselves from the world. The temptation has always been there. It's where monks and all of these things actually come from Christianity. The world is so sinful and I don't want to be corrupted. So I'm just going to distance myself. But that's not a biblical notion. God doesn't call us to separate ourselves. We are in the world. We are not of the world. Again, in John 17, when Jesus prays the high priestly prayer, in verse 14, he says, I've given them your word, Father, and the world hates them because we are different, because they are not of this world. But then he goes on to say, I pray not that you remove them from the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Like you've sent me into the world, Lord, now I'm sending them. Not only do I pray for them, but also to all who will believe on account of their word. That's all of us. Like the Father sent Jesus into the world, so we've been sent into the world. Jesus makes it clear, don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. But they are called to be in the world, to shine a light unto the nations. And another thing that this explains to us well, and even the way in which Peter puts it, this notion that, you know, some of us, I get that, it's, it's a bit more intimidating for some than to, for others. But this notion of, I'm not going to preach the gospel using words, I'm going to preach the gospel using deeds. Can't do that. It's impossible. It's not what scripture expects of us. And I know, obviously, when it comes to company policies and stuff like that, some of your company policy says you're not allowed to preach the gospel. Luckily, not my company policy. I must. Actually, they insist on it. But we many times say that, no, they'll get offended at work. I'm not allowed to do that. But whether it's right to obey man or God, you decide. But scripture makes it clear. We have a guy in our small group. It's actually a funny story. He's been handed over to HR a couple of times because he's just relentless in proclaiming the gospel. He simply won't stop. But the funny thing is when they call the boss now to examine the case, he's a traditional Christian. There's someone who's just been raised a Christian. So when he comes there, he wants to fire the other guy. And he goes, no, no, please don't fire him. Then we can't preach the gospel to him. He actually needs to be here. So it actually turned out a little bit unlucky for the guy who handed him over. But we are called to go and preach the gospel. We cannot just live it out. It's not something we can simply show by our deeds. We have to preach the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How will they call upon him if they have not heard of him? That's what scripture tells us in Romans 10. We need to preach the message of the gospel. We cannot just show it by our lives. And in light of this, again, we must ask ourselves, are we yielding to the word of God and the leading of the spirit? Or are we giving over to the passion of the flesh? Because the word of God and the spirit of God says, proclaim the gospel to the nations. Let it thunder forth. The spirit of the... The passions of the flesh is now remain silent. Keep quiet. Let's, let's not do it now. And we have to understand, even in light of this, if we do not preach the gospel, we are yielding to the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our souls. It's not just beneficial to those who hear the words of God, but it's beneficial for me. 
And for my salvation, it must be proclaimed. The message of the gospel. You see, it says here we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we might proclaim the excellencies of God. It's the same thing that Peter speaks about here in verse 5. When he speaks about offerings that is acceptable to God. It says here in verse 5, You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So again there, you know, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up. This is growth. There'll be no growth without this. If this is not there, you cannot grow. We have to start here. The love for one another and the proclamation of the gospel. You are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is the spiritual sacrifice? Like we just saw, it's the love for the people of God. It is the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. That is the spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. That is why we are a holy nation, that we might proclaim. Speaking about the same thing. And it's in light of this that we have to realize a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God is not a good intention. It's an action that actually flows out. An offer acceptable to God is not the desire to join fellowship. It's not the desire to preach the gospel. It's not the desire to really love one another. It's actually loving one another. It's actually forming part of community. It's actually preaching the gospel. It's a real thing. For I desire obedience, says the Lord. A real thing that he wants. And again, here we many times feel, oh, there it is. Another piece of load to the thing I'm already carrying. Another thing to obey. Another command to go and do. It's not what this is. Again, it's an invitation. Because many times when it comes to preaching the gospel, forming part of community, doing the things that God has called us to, it seems like you know this thing to obey, to earn salvation. But like we said, it's an invitation to know God. Because how do we shift from knowledge of God to really knowing God? How do we do that? How does that shift take place for the believer? How do I move from reading things about God and his word to actually knowing God and experiencing that God who is? How does that work? How does that happen? And as we think about it, we'll many times say prayer, fellowship, reading the word. But that in of itself are acts of what? Acts of obedience is the things that God commands us. You see, the only way we can shift from information of God to really knowing God is through obedience. There is no other way. That, that is where stuff gets real. That is how I experience the God who is. If I actually obey his word, if I actually live it out, that is the only way. There is no other way. Without obedience, it will remain information of. It will never be relationship worth. It has to be through obedience. You see, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, we read, the writer writes, without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And then it gives a couple of examples of this faith. It speaks of Abraham who went. He obeyed, he actually did something. Of Noah who built. It's active works of faith. That is how we draw near to God. That is how we learn to know God. It's like a son standing on a roof and he's, he's heard that his dad will be able to catch him, but he's never experienced it. And his dad is inviting, hey, move from information, jump. Experience that I can catch you. Allow it to become real. And God is inviting us. 
in every aspect of obedience to experience the God who is. Otherwise, it will simply remain informational. You see, when it's going tight financially and there's something that's coming across your path that is out of line with God's word, but it will be able to provide. And God says, don't, don't do that. Don't take that shortcut. And it's when you actually leave that alone and when you trust in God, where you learn to know the God who provides. It's only through obedience. It's only through obedience. And that brings transformation. So we read the story of Abraham, and it's a weird story. You know, there's this meme that says, if I had a dollar for every time Abraham called Sarah his sister, I would have had two dollars, which is not much, but it's still weird that it happened twice. You know, he tells the kings that Sarah is his sister. They, they want to take her as his wife, but luckily God protects them. Same thing that is written in chapter 3 of the book of 1 Peter, because she submits to her husband. He's not a man of integrity. He's not a man of principle. He's not really even a man of faith. His wife so evilly, you know, leads him astray. You know, don't wait for the promise of God. Rather get a child through my servant Hagar. And he does that. And when the son is born, she says, no, no, I'm envious. Send him into the wilderness. And he does that. Like, who's this guy? How's this the, the father of faith? How does he end up the guy that the Jews wants to be the, the children of Abraham? How does that happen? How is he the man that God speaks to face to face? What, what, how? It's weird. But it's as he steps out in obedience and actively learns to trust God and walks to the promised land when God says walk and then takes Isaac when God says take. And he learned to experience the God who provides. And he learns to experience God in an intimate way and he transforms his life. Same thing with the apostles. This random group of guys having an immense impact and an intimate knowledge of God. Why? Because they followed when he called. You see, there's no knowing God without following God. There's no following God without obeying God. There's no obeying God without knowing the will of God. There's no knowing the will of God without the word of God. But it's only through obedience that we actually learn to know who God is. And these challenging things that God is calling some of us to do. Go and tell this thing to your husband. Go and explain that thing to your wife. Go and confess that sin to a brother. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Like, no, I don't know of this thing. Man, I feel like God's going to expose me. He says, no, I don't want to expose you. I want you to experience freedom. But you'll never know until you obey. Until you go. To learn that God really works all things to the good for those who love you. But you have to step out in obedience. Otherwise, you'll never experience it. And another thing about God, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's not going to bargain with you. He's God. If he said you should do something and he's laying something in your heart, it will remain that thing until you do it. There'll be no growth. There'll be no information turning to a true knowledge of unless you obey. But do that thing. Learn to know God. Jump. Experience it. And as we jump and the Father catches, it'll be easier every single time. I want to end off us with a scripture and a statement. It says here in Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 16, really ties it beautifully together for me. You know, when it says we, that we should bring sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It says here in Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 16, through him, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God 
That is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Not only as we sang together now, but that is acceptable sacrifice to God that is pleasing unto him when the saints join together and we lift up his name. But also when we go out into the world, and tomorrow when we are in our workplaces, we acknowledge his name by preaching the message of the gospel to the nations. That is a sacrifice acceptable to God. To share what we have with those around us. You know what? You might need someday. will never be a great justification for what another brother or sister needs today. If you have something for one day and they need it today, give. Because God will supply your needs. That is a sacrifice acceptable to God. But let's love one another in deed and in truth. I want to end off with the following statement to just sum it up together. What does it mean to be holy, separate? How do we grow in this? Through the Spirit, let us long for and proclaim forth the eternal word of God as we love one another earnestly. Through the Spirit, let us long for and proclaim forth the eternal word of God as we love one another earnestly. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Please, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father. And I just want to pray, Lord, this idea, Father, of knowing you through obedience, Lord, we, we really think about it like it, Lord, but when we do, it makes sense, Lord. It's the only thing, Lord, to really know you, to really experience you, Father, to really grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just to obey, Father, to actually do what you say. That is the only reason we draw near, Lord. That is, we want to know you. We want to experience your goodness, Lord. And I want to pray, Lord, when it comes to the things, Lord, that you want us to obey, Father, it's not difficult for us to figure out what that thing is, Lord. When we draw near with a pure heart, Lord, you will speak. You will reveal. And for some of us, it might be forgiving someone. For some of us, it might be to go and ask forgiveness. For some of us, it might be something that we need to share with our husband or our wife, bringing to the light. Maybe something that we need to go and confess to a friend, an accountability partner. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. God wants to heal, deliver, set free. Trust Him. He doesn't want to put you to shame. He's the good shepherd that cares for the sheep. For some of us, it is joining a small group. Sounds intimidating. But you cannot live out the most basic Christian commands without a group of people that believe in Christ. God didn't call a random group of people to sit in a building on a Sunday. They called a family of believers to do life together, to love one another earnestly. We can only love one another as well as we know one another. And some of us are standing on that roof and God is saying, jump into community. You learn to experience the God of fellowship, the God of community. But you won't learn unless you jump. And yes, you're going to get hurt there. And then you'll experience the God of grace, the God of love, the God of reconciliation as you work through that process, again in obedience. 
And for some of us preaching the word of God, man, that's intimidating. But if you really want to get to know the God who saves, the God who sanctifies, the God who calls from darkness to light, the God who restores and redeems, come preach the gospel to the nations and see how God works mightily. The God who brings new life. And again, in light of this, if you feel that you don't know the words to say, you don't understand the message of salvation, and we also have to acknowledge to ourselves, how long can you be saved without knowing what saved you? It's time to grow. It's time to pick up the word of God and put down the things of the world. Grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But long for the word so that you can love believers better, proclaim the gospel better. Know the God of the Bible. There we are. If God is pressing something in your heart, why don't you just lift up your voice to God? If God is calling you to do something in obedience, why don't you commit? Why don't you say, yes, Lord? I'm going to jump. I'm going to step out in faith. Just there we are. Why don't you lift your voice to God?